Welcome to the Zero Traction Podcast with Cameron Miller and James Allison. My voice is more resonant than yours. It's true, it's true. But there we go. Anyway, episode four. Episode four. Welcome, everyone. I'm impressed at our commitment. Every week so far. Every week. We've met up, socially distant, and done a podcast for you, whoever you are. For an entire month. There you go. When you say like, so, so James did a little look at the number of people who are listening yes, to us. Yes, I did. And how many people are listening to us, James? Five. Five. Yes. See, James was like, oh. I'm disappointed. But I'm not disappointed because that's amazing because we have, we have not pushed this at all. No, we haven't. We haven't even slightly told, I've, I think I've told like my girlfriend that that is a thing. Yeah, that, same here. And she definitely has not listened to us because she couldn't be less interested. Yeah. Um, with anything we talk about. Yeah, both of our partners could not care no. any less about this stuff. So that's absolutely fine. But it's really, really cool that we have anybody listening at all because it yeah. means that you scrolled. You scrolled through some other stuff yeah. and selected our specific podcast. Yeah, you selected the worst podcast on Spotify. You did. Congratulations. Well done. So how we does that, like, is that five people total for all episodes? Or is that five people for the first episode? Or like... It's five spread across four episodes. So, like, well, each so episode has got, like, one person. <laughs> yeah, honestly, it's not worth getting excited about. <laughs> I'm still excited. It's not, I don't That's crazy. So. Anyway, episode four. I'm impressed that we've committed to this for a month yes. so far quite We're well. We're going to try and get, like, ten episodes and then that's and call that season one and see. And then we're sort of... We're thinking about spending a bit of money to try and promote it. Um, so, yeah. We'll just see how it goes. See how it goes. We like doing it. We just talk about this stuff anyway so it's, it's no skin off our back no no that's very very cool well this week i guess we've got a few things to talk about so last week was our re-record of episode yes. three yeah and on the first time that we went round, um i talked about a wikipedia hole that i'd gone down and i'm sorry if you were expecting another wikipedia hole last week but we just got so distracted yeah by i wouldn't conversation. apologize i don't think anyone is as interested no. in wiki holes as you are yeah, but they are, James. It's so interesting. So I'm thinking that I might do my wiki hole this do week. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Do you it wanna, now. You, you brought just, it up. Just do it now. If we just start there Go immediately. Go for the wiki hole. Let's do it. But James, I'm also really interested because you started off before we started recording. You were like, I'm really angry. Oh, Let's start I recording. Am, I am very frustrated and I, I feel with like... this week's car news segment. But I feel like... Let's build up to it. Okay. I need to, I need to calm down. All right, just I remember, everyone. I think your everyone. wiki hole will calm me down somewhat. Okay, James is angry. I'm remember very frustrated. that. We will revisit. It's like clickbait or whatever videos where they it's make not, you want well, to yeah. want you to stick around with the video because yeah. they'll do the unveiling later on. Yeah. Anyway, wiki hole of this week. Go for it. Super GT. Japanese GT Championship. Oh, okay. Japanese touring cars. It's a, wow. a crazy series that I've been deep diving on recently because I had no idea just how interesting it was and how mental, absolutely mental, the cars are. Um, and I think if you've played any of the Gran Turismo games from even the first Gran Turismo games, so GT1, all the way through to GT Sport, and you can still see in like the adverts for Gran Turismo 7, yeah. they're still going to be present in, these, uh, in those games, that... These cars, these JGTC and Super GT cars, are a staple of the racing that you do in the games. So we're all 
ooh, our car nerds, we're all pretty familiar with the cars anyway, but I had no idea just how diverse the series was and the sorts of cars that got involved over the years and the state of it now. So I thought I'd tell you a little bit about it. Go for it. So, we're yeah. We're interested. Why don't we start? <laughs> you've also already heard this. Yeah. No, no, I haven't. No, it's you've no fresh, idea. First time. Oh, I hope completely I, fresh. I had some good points that I interjected with last time. Okay. So I hope I um, have those same thoughts again <laughs> so I can interject them. Bring them up completely organically. I will. I'll try. Yeah, I'll be good. Well, started off in the late 80s. I'll begin there. So we've obviously got the, uh, the late 80s was a great era for cars. You've got Group B Rally, you've got Group C Endurance Racing, so sort of Le Mans prototype racers doing ludicrous 250 mile an hour plus speeds down the Lasarth Strait. You know, crazy time for racing. Also an incredibly dangerous time. And then in the early 90s, there was that turning point when Group C ended, Group B got completely banned for many obvious, <laughs> very clear reasons. <laughs> namely people dying in fiery crashes. Uh, but there was, in Japan, I had no idea, they had their own Group C championship, which was just basically a bunch of Group C cars, but with Japanese teams and Japanese drivers. And it was their sports car world championship. But that came to an end in the early 90s, along with these other FIA championships over in Europe. So they needed something to replace it, some kind of national Japanese racing championship. So they came up with the Japanese GT, so the, the JGTC series, the Japanese sports car championship. And initially their idea was that they just basically take a bunch of saloon cars, allow a huge amount of aero, a load of power, and off you go. They were going to bring in rules later on, but initially it was pretty open. So the field was just ludicrously varied. You had uh, Ferrari were in there, so there was the F40, there was a JGTC F40, Okay. there was a JGTC um, McLaren F1, which won a couple of championships there. You had, later on down the line, you had the 550 Maranello, um, you had nice. Mercedes were in there. It was just a ridiculously varied grid of cars. So not just the classic Japanese names no. that we've come to know and love. No. It was, it was quite a varied grid. Yeah. They were, they were all in there, all, all those Japanese names. So yeah. the beginning of the Skyline and the oh, Supra yes. was in there as well. The MR2 was in there in the GT300 category. So you had um, this ridiculous mix of cars. And if you look at the early videos on YouTube, it's a crazy mix. It's not what you'd expect no. at all, which made it kind of interesting. But they did want to make it a bit more specific, bring in some rules... So they started to tighten up the rules and they lost a few manufacturers along the way okay. um, as they couldn't, like everyone had to have the same engine size and Ugh. that's when you end Boring. up with the classic looking <laughs> um, JGTC cars, which we're all used to. So the early Supras yeah. and the, the Nissan GTR, the Lexus um, and the NSX as well. So yeah. there's all these different cars that were, were used to those shapes anyway. That, is all, that pretty stayed consistent until about 2004-ish. Around about that time, they decided this, this series is pretty popular. I think not in any small part due to Gran Turismo. <laughs> so you had GTs 1, 2, 3 and 4, which we're all familiar with. Yeah. It obviously elevated the status of the series and it had gone quite international. So they thought, why don't we make this an international series, something that's going to race all over the world like Formula One does? Yeah. 
um, and it'll be something that we can, you know, we can race on Australian tracks, we can race on American tracks, we can go to Europe, because at the moment it's all just Japanese tracks. Yeah. So Twin Ring, Motegi and yeah. Suzuka and all these tracks that we're used to from, once again, Gran Turismo. <laughs> um, but, so they, they decided they're going to make the change, but there's the rules are, I didn't realise this, but the rule is, if you want to have an international race series, you cannot have it linked to a nationality. You can't have the name of a nationality right. be in the name. So you can't be the Japanese GT Championship and then it's an international race right, series yeah. all over the world. So they renamed, they rebranded to Super GT. Okay. That was the new name from 2004 onwards. It's a nice name. Super GT, yes, yes. Same as a YouTuber, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. So, uh, yeah, it's a very, very cool series. It, it, it basically got rebooted. Um, but in turn, they, they had all these grand plans to race internationally. Um, but what ended up happening was they just didn't do that. <laughs> they just didn't do it. I'm not too sure why. They ended up adding one international event onto the calendar in the year. But everything else was still based in Japan. I'm not sure if they couldn't get the contracts. So they couldn't Maybe. get the rights to race at the places. But they ended up just not racing in other places. Nice. Um, and the rules state that it can remain a, um, a national championship uh, if there's only one international uh, race on the, on the calendar. Yeah. So basically, it was a completely pointless rebranding. Did okay. absolutely nothing for them. Um, so I just thought it was an interesting fact yeah, anyway. Definitely. But anyway, move on. 2005. Change of the rebranding, pointless, re pointless rebranding. So is this now called Super GT even just because it's in Japan? Yeah, they just call it Super GT now. Okay. They just renamed it for they no reason. They didn't think, okay, that failed, so we'll go back to the nope. uh, other name. Nope, they just fully, fully just invested. to the name. This is what it's called now. Okay. But oh, there's good. two categories in Japanese touring cars, and that's GT500 and GT300. Now, that's always been the case. Even in the 90s, this was the case as well. Yeah. And it just about was... It, it kind of was about the brake horsepower. So in the 90s, GT500 had around about 500 brake horsepower as the rule, and the GT300 was around about 300. And the sort of cars that you found in GT300 were things like the Toyota MR2, um, boded quite well in that series. You had the Lotus Elise was in that as well, actually. Yeah. So really small, lightweight sports cars. They had less aero. They couldn't, they didn't, couldn't quite yeah. reach the same speeds. But... Moving forwards now, as you get further on, the power figures start to creep. <laughs> and nowadays, GT300 has actually more like 550-ish brake horsepower. Nice. And GT500 uh, is more like six to 700. Yeah. So we've really shifted. There's been a marked difference in power output. I guess that's just because they've, um, they've modernized and engines have got more efficient there, producing um... power. Are there aero restrictions for both of those categories? So there's much more aero restrictions for GT300. Okay, right. I was going to say, because those, um, those power figures aren't that dissimilar, are they? When you get up to those sort of figures, yeah. the difference between 500 and 600 horsepower is quite small. It is, it is, yeah. So it becomes more about the aero at that point. But the crazy thing with modern Super GT is as it's morphed, GT500 has become incredibly restrictive. Oh, okay. So uh, it's basically, the, it's the silhouette body shape is pretty restricted. Yeah. There's, um, the aero package is restricted. The engine size now is a four-pot turbo. Nice. With still like <laughs> 600 plus brake horsepower. That's incredible. That's um, crazy, it? It's completely ludicrous. But the crazy thing is the GT300 category 
is unlimited um, engine capacity. Okay, that's confusing. Yeah. So you can have V8s yep. in the in the GT300 category, yep. but the 500s are restricted to turbo four cylinders. Yeah. Wow. But the GT500 category is drastically faster than okay. the 300 because category. Because of the aero. Because of the aero oh, okay. and the power output that they're getting out of the yeah. cars. You still have that power output limitation. That's crazy. So, so hold on, are they getting, so they're getting like nearly 700 horsepower from a turbo four cylinder? Um, yeah. Well, no, no other, like, there's no hybrid system on these things. No, not at the moment. Okay, I think maybe insane. they brought in Kurs for one season. Right. Um, so ludicrous, ludicrous yeah, power Yeah, that's outputs. insane. Uh, but the GT300 series is a really interesting and diverse series. So there are um, 15 teams in GT500. Yeah. And uh, I'm not sure how many cars, maybe only six or seven different cars from, like, Honda and Lexus, um, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But... In the GT300 series, there's 30 teams. <laughs> um, and the reason for that is it's basically merged with GT3. Right. So, yeah, you can, you can um, enter the GT300 series with a GT3 SLS AMG Mercedes. Right, I see. And they, they do race in that series. So the Audi R8 is, a, yeah. is applicable. Yeah. Suddenly it opens up and there's this enormous flexibility. Right. But it has brought about some very strange combinations. So you've got GT3 cars, but you've also got Japanese manufacturers who aren't commonly in GT3 no. producing some pretty silly cars, yeah. including in the late 2000s, sort of early 2010s, um, you've got Toyota who brought out a Prius GT300 car. Um, and at that point, there were no rules on where the engine could be. So they made it mid-engined. As you do. As you do. Um, and it could, still, it could be a hybrid as well, that was allowed. <laughs> so it's a mid-engined V8 <laughs> Toyota Prius, still hybrid. They kept it hybrid? They kept it hybrid. Oh my lord. So <laughs> they, put they, put a, um, sorry, they put a V8 in the middle of the car. Yeah. But maintained the hybrid system. Maintained the hybrid system. Wow. And off they went. And that race for a few seasons and was oh, pretty excellent. successful in GT300. Did it win anything? Uh, I don't know if it won anything. That's I a doubt, good question. I doubt it won anything. I don't know why. That we've got this hatred for, for Priuses, 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 Priuses. I think it's Priuses. <laughs> I think you were right with Priuses. Okay, we'll go with Priuses. Well, it's because they're commonly like taxis, aren't yeah. they? And you, they, you know, That's when you're someone they look who daft, they do. Sorry to anyone who's got one. <laughs> it's not but an they attractive are, they do car. Look daft. It is not an attractive car. Um, and it's also standard in an American movie. I'm a person in my late twenties and I own a car. And it's always a fucking Prius, yeah, isn't it? It is. Um, but anyway, so we've got ridiculous cars in GT300, yep. crazy little uh, flexible field with ludicrous cars. You've got Subaru Impreza WRX GT300 cars yeah. racing SLS AMG cars. It's great. It's a really diverse series, and I think it's pretty cool. Um, Can I just and there's say, been, the, yeah. um, I think the SLS has actually been replaced with the AMG GT now. Has it? I think so. Just Didn't off my that. GT Sport knowledge, they did. Uh, I think the SLS they do a GT4 SLS, but the uh, GT3 okay. version is the AMG GT. Oh, so it's not actually an SLS. No, I have. It been... used to be. I think it used to be. Yeah, yeah. Are, But on on Gran Turismo Sport, they have both of those um, options. They've got the SLS GT3 and the AMG GT GT3. Ah, uh, but they um, look but so when similar. When they race it, yeah. When they race it uh, nowadays, I think it is just the uh, interesting the GT3 GT. AMG. Well, there you go. There's too many G's in that name. So many G's. Sorry, continue. No, that's all right. 
Uh, yeah, no, basically, I just think it's very cool and it's worth watching. There was a point when um, there's a, the car's getting more ridiculous, the aero's getting more insane. The lap times are the equivalent to the non-hybrid LMP1 cars. Okay, that's ridiculous. Around tracks. That's the sort of speed we're talking about here. So it's not keeping up with the Porsche, what is it, the 919? Is that what it's called? Uh, to be honest, my knowledge of LMP1s is, yeah. is not great. I'll do another wiki hole on LMP1 yes. another day. Whatever the Porsche hybrid is, and the Toyota hybrid, you know, the Gazoo Racing one yeah. that's been winning every single thing, yeah. every Le Mans over the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, it can't keep up with those, but they can keep up with further down the pack in LMP1. That's, which is that, just insane because these are basically formula one cars with bodywork <laughs> i mean things. pretty much um so yeah it's unbelievable the pace that these cars are getting and there's another touring car race series out there obviously which people are quite familiar with uh dtm german yeah. touring cars um which has a similar sort of rule set in that the cars are they look ish like the road car yeah but they are not sort even of. slightly because the Aero packages are yeah. ridiculous and the power outputs are stupid. Man, I wish they looked like the road cars. Oh, How, can you imagine? Imagine a wide body kit on road cars like well, that. In the oh. uh, DTM cars of the 90s, they did. Yeah. There was overlap. Oh, I remember the, um, what was it, the AMG CLK GTR or something? Yes. That was, oh, amazing. That, that wasn't was one of DTM. Our dream, that was one of our dream cars. That was. That's very, very cool. The AMG CLK GTR, though, was a uh, Group 1 Le Mans racer. Right, okay. Back in the night, so I'll do Le Mans another time. Yeah. But in the 90s, uh, Le Mans kind of had a moment where they had prototype races and then they had a silhouette cars, so cars yeah. that still had to have homologated road going versions. But it was called Group One. And there was this strange time when Group One and prototypes were mixed, they yeah. were really close. So you had cars like the AMG CLK GTR, yeah. the McLaren F1 yeah. long tail, the yeah, GTR. Yeah. Um, that, so those had road-going versions, but they were as quick as the Le Mans prototypes that were racing at the same time. Yes. So you, yeah, yeah, even like the Toyota GT1 had a road-going version. What? Porsche, at the, yeah, you could, it's in, I think it's in like Toyota's headquarters. You can't oh, buy amazing. it, but it does exist. Toyota, um, sorry, not Toyota. Who was I just about to mention? Ah, Nissan did it as well with the R. Oh, the R390. Um, R390, there's a road-going version of that. Um, uh, and then the, the most famous one is when they first brought in these rules, um, the uh, Porsche was still running the 962. If you remember, I mentioned about uh, moving from Group 7 and into Group yes. C in the, yeah, in the right. previous wiki hole. So the Porsche 962 has just been running forever. <laughs> the latest iteration in the early 90s, a leftover 962 Group C, Porsche decided they would just make some road-going versions of that. Yeah. And then so that they could enter it in group one and absolutely dominate. Oh my God. So, so you could buy a road going Porsche 962 with the full on endurance tank, 150 liter endurance tank in there, but it's just a Le Mans prototype, but it's got a number plate and it's completely road legal. Or how much would that set you back? Oh, I don't know. There was... How many millions would that set you back? <laughs> it's just ridiculous. So yeah, there was, that's another, that's another wiki hole. Okay. But anyway, DTM. Uh, so DTM is pretty close to, to Super GT in terms of the race standard and yeah. the lap times that they get. So this was noticed by both series manufacturers and in an effort to once again make Super GT an international thing, yeah. um, they decided they'd merge rules with DTM. Nice. So in 2014... We'll put now, all the cars on one track. Yes. Amazing. So uh, in 20... 
uh, 14, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, both teams, both sets of race rules decided to merge and slowly Super GT would bring itself towards DTM and DTM would bring itself towards Super GT. And I think, I might be wrong in this, I think DTM had hybrid curves systems whereas Super GT didn't. So they added hybrid curves. They've also got curves. DRS. They've also got DRS. So they added those to the Super GT teams oh, nice. and reduced the power a tiny bit right. to, bring them into, to bring them in line because Super GT cars yeah. exactly are a little bit quicker than the DTM cars. Yeah. Uh, and it brought about a few uh, mixed races where they would race both sets of cars against each other with both grids of drivers from both championships. Yeah. And it led to some crazy racing. It's oh, amazing. Awesome. So I'd go to YouTube and watch some yeah, of that I'm because it's, that. it's very, very cool. So you've got like NSXs on grid with DTM, AMG Mercedes cars yeah. and the, the, the Audi, is it the A4? The A4, races? I think, yeah. Or is it the A5? I've forgotten one of the... Oh, it might be the A5, actually. Um, and BMW. Uh, it was at the 4 Series nowadays. Something like that. Just, I don't know enough about DTM, but they, yeah. So you series. get this awesome mixed grid of ludicrous saloon cars. Um, yeah, amazing. Awesome. At similar sort of time, uh, Jensen Button retires from F1, goes and joins Super GT. Oh. Wins the championship. <laughs> Nice little tidbit of information there. Nice. Jensen Button has a Super GT championship under his belt, which I had absolutely no idea no, about. I had no idea until the last couple of weeks ago. <laughs> told me this for the first time. Exactly. And thus ends my wiki hole. Oh, well done. Fantastic information there. And you know what's extra impressive? Go on. Is that I haven't looked it up since I looked it up two oh, weeks ago. That's, that is actually impressive then. Because that, viewers, was almost word for word what was said last week. <laughs> the week before. Oh. I wish that I had a memory for anything other than this kind of crap. I know. Because at university, I really struggled, if I'm being <laughs> honest, with the stuff that I was meant to be learning about. Um, but this kind of stuff just sticks in my brain and I don't really know why. That reminds me of a quote. Um, and I don't know who said it, but it was, um, school exams are not a test of your knowledge, but a test of your memory. Yeah, that's because exactly what they are. Which is why some people are naturally good. Yeah. And other people are naturally terrible. A hundred percent. Like me. <laughs> Sorry, I went through a puddle there. I had oh to... man. Not got my wellies on today. Oh mate. I've gone kept my walking boots on, kept, bro. You kept them on. You should have done the same. I should have. I'm just sick of dragging my wellies around every single walk. <laughs> They're so heavy. <laughs> Anyway, we've gone off topic. We have got off topic. So, Wikihole done. Let's go to you, James. Give the us news. a thing that you would like to talk about. This week's news, yeah? I'm very frustrated. Oh, man. What are you frustrated about? VW have launched a special 45th anniversary edition of the Golf GTI. Okay. And let me just bring out some facts for there are, you. There's a lot of editions of the Golf GTI. Exactly. Do we need a 45th anniversary edition? Probably not. You tell me, viewers. <laughs> Right, let me just find... Okay, I've got some facts here. Yeah, go for it. Right. In the UK, it's available in April for just under £40,000. Oh. 40k. For a GTI. For a Golf. Um, yeah, so it won't even be limited edition, but will probably be pulled from the, uh, from the lineup next year when the, when the anniversary is over. Right. So it's like a year, they're selling it for a year and then it will be gone. So yeah. um, get one now while you can. What does it give you? What's the extras? 
Okay, you get new 19-inch alloy wheels. Okay. You get Matrix LED headlights. Okay. A larger tailgate spoiler. Okay. Contrasting black roof. Nice. This is quite interesting. You get a louder Akrapovich. Is that how you say it? Akrapovich? Akrapovich. I don't actually know. System, which is quite interesting. That is That's quite a little cool. bit of investment there. Yeah, yeah. Um, you, but the best thing, you get, you get the letter, you get the numbers 45 on each side skirt. Right. How cool is that? Okay. Um, you get brand new seats. Yeah. You get a new steering wheel. Yeah. You get 296 brake horsepower. You get a car that does 0 to 62 in 5.6 seconds. Yeah. Which is 54 brake horsepower Still over the Still front-wheel drive. Front-wheel drive. Good. Um, okay, this is where I start to get mad. Okay. It's only available yeah. with a seven-speed dual-cutch auto. That, yeah. Is this the way of the world? So why don't you make it 35k and give me a manual option? Yeah. Because listen, my point is right. I know they're amazing. I know semi-autos are amazing. Yeah. And in 2021, they are so smooth, so efficient. But you're not, you're driving here. You've got a Golf GTI. It's not the fastest car in the world. You're not going to be breaking land speed records with this thing. You don't need the, the bonus of a semi-auto gearbox. Yeah, the instant change. You want a bit of fun. You want yeah. a bit of drama and a nice, well-engineered manual gearbox on a car like that, I think is the better option. Yeah, I agree. Call me old-fashioned, and you can't really call me old-fashioned because I've just said how great they are. But on a car like this, I just don't agree that they should remove the option. You know, yeah. give me the option at least. Yeah. And make it a bit cheaper because these things are expensive. Yeah. Not only to buy, but also when they go wrong. Totally agree. So, and you've got one. You've got an eight-speed ZF I do. auto box in your car. Yeah, it's great. And you love it. Do you ever feel like, do you ever miss a manual gearbox? Absolutely, yeah. That's totally. I completely missed the manual. Yeah, it's, it's the manual, op at least there's an option with the M140i. Like exactly. You can buy a manual option. Yeah, you can. But with a car like that, I was buying it because, you know, I want, it's, 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 it's got more power than that GTI does. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm wanting it to daily drive. I want to yeah. commute to work in it. But I don't know, the GTI is, like, it, it's such a, such, it's always had a manual option. It's always yeah. been a manual it's all about that kind of chuckable, lightweight, front-wheel yeah. drive, fun, engaging. Well, the whole lot, point is to be engaging. Exactly. And a lot of people hail the Golf GTI as one of the pioneers of a hot hatch. Yeah. You know, it was one of the first ones to do it. Yeah. You know? I, I just, I just does don't it know need how... 300 brake horsepower is my other point. <laughs> yes, it does. That because seems... it probably weighs nearly two tonnes. I don't yeah. know how much it actually weighs, but the thing, I mean, it looks heavy is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. It looks, it looks, it's quite bulbous now. You know, the last couple of editions have been quite sharp. Yeah. Um, and probably a bit too Audi-like. So I think they're trying to go away from the sharpness of an Audi, yeah. trying to make it its own thing again. And um, personally, I don't think it's worked. I think, the, I think the headlights look a bit strange. Yeah. But, you know, the style is a... It's a subjective thing, so I don't really, you know, make up your own mind on how it looks, but it looks heavy. 
as well. So I think it does need 300 horsepower. Front wheel drive, God knows how the front wheels are gonna deal with the steering and 300 horsepower. Yeah. It does have an, an, an e-diff um, at the front, so yeah. that'll help you a bit. But yeah, um, the other thing I wanted to say about this, this car is they have introduced a race package. Right. Um, which, as far as I can see, removes the top speed limiter. So stops it being 155. It, it goes beyond 155 now. That's it. That's it. That's what. And how race, much is that called? Race. What part of a race do you need to go faster than 155 miles an hour? Oh yeah, I've, I've, I've driven on track a few times and I've never hit anywhere near 100. I think you barely do 100 on the track, especially little British tracks that people yeah, can actually afford to go. Yeah, depends on where you go. Yeah. Like Brands Hatch is going to cost you a thousand pounds for half a day. I think Bedford we hit 125, 130 yeah. in the Megane or something. Yeah. And that's what two. 260 horsepower, 270. Yeah, and this is 296 yeah. and weighs a lot more. Yeah. So you've got a race package, great, but it yeah. just removes the, the the top speed limiter. It just doesn't feel like it's in the spirit of the GTI. No. Like I get that you'd want that kind of gearbox in the Golf R. Yeah. That's the point of the Golf R. Yeah. Is to just be raw power, four-wheel drive. I can commute in this, yes. but I can also because that's a daily driver as well. Yeah. I can destroy anything at yeah. the lights. But the the spirit of the GTI is lightweight, front-wheel drive. Yeah manual gearbox so a 45th anniversary edition what would you have expected to see i'd have I expected have, to see so this is what i was going to go to actually is i was i'd expect it to be lighter yep uh i'd expect it to maintain about 250 brake horsepower yep. remain for front wheel drive have no auto option at all no and just be a manual and focus on the manual focus, sell it as yes. a manual this is as close as we can make it to the original exactly. whilst keeping up with today's modern hot hatchbacks we've got the tartan seats you know all of yep. that kind of stuff you make it the most gti that could be a gti yes and maybe you do some like retro styling on it or something yeah so and you... if you're going to make it a race if you want to put a race package on there make it you know give it some physical things like removing the back seats and giving it a, a roll cage isn't know, like that a half what cage. the club sports for though yeah, probably, but this so is, a, this is an iteration of the Club Sport, but it doesn't have that. Jesus. So yeah, that's, that's, that's the news on the Golf. Seems but like it's, they've just, it's, a, it's a mismatch of ideas. They've done what, they're, they're basically bringing the GTI closer to the Golf R. Yeah. And that's not what you should be doing. You should be keeping it lighter, yeah. keeping the power limited, so that you don't, you don't, you know, you don't need 300 brake no if the car doesn't weigh as much exactly yeah and so you've got 300 horsepower in a in a golf r which is four-wheel drive which is going to be a lot more capable on british b roads than a you know 296 brake horsepower front wheel drive only car yeah so of the cars the probably the r is more capable yeah so it's pointless they've done yeah. a 45th anniversary edition and it's pointless and it's going to cost you 40 grand yeah Absolutely ridiculous. So good luck with that one, anyone who's bought one of those. <laughs> good luck. Yeah, I guess it'll be worth more in the long run, and that's yeah. why you'd buy it. So if we're wrong, let us know. Yeah. We'd love to know. It just doesn't sound like a GTI to me. These are all opinions, so if you disagree, get in touch <laughs> at Zero Traction Podcast on Instagram. Yeah. Um, we do a little post every week that we do a podcast, so feel free to leave some comments if you even listen to this you probably don't <laughs> anyway the next thing that i'm really angry about yeah it's the last thing because i have two points because i was super vexed about all of them super vexed new land rover defender uh yeah okay. that on its own 
annoys me. You're annoyed by looks, the existence of it. Have you seen how the way it looks? I don't like mind. Like a little bubble land rover. I don't mind it. You don't mind it? I don't mind it, but okay, let's carry on. Disagree. Right, anyway, that's not the annoying thing. The annoying thing is they've just put a 518 brake horsepower supercharged 5 litre V8 into it. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> they've just done it. With all that, to be honest, I sort of respect them for doing this because of every single car company out there is putting little turbo four-cylinder hybrids yeah. into their cars these days. Yeah, yeah. And um, Land Rover, like, you know what? The Defender needs 500 horsepower, V8. <laughs> Let's put it in there. <laughs> Absolutely ridiculous. It'll that... get you from 0 to 60 quicker than the Golf we were just talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Which is insane, because yeah. the thing probably weighs two or three tonnes. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's... On one hand, I admire them for doing it. On the other hand... It's £98,000 starting price oh. for the short wheelbase version, right? 98 grand, 110,000 if you want the long wheelbase version. Oh man. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but was the Defender not a little farmyard donkey that would just be a workhorse for a good few hundred years? Well, that's the point. I think it's not, it isn't that anymore. So they've, why call it a Defender then? They've made another Range Rover. That's what they've done. They, they've made a Range Rover Sport but stamped the Defender logo on it. Like, think about it. You, the previous generation of Range Rover Sport had a five litre supercharged it V8 did. option. It did. And it was still very capable off-road. Yeah. Like, still impressively capable yeah. in the same way that I think the Defender's meant to be still really capable off-road. Yeah. But what they've got rid of is that ability to do it whilst being washed down on the interior yeah. and get all muddy and mucky and and generally you don't have to care about it too much. But the problem is, I don't think there's that many people out there who actually want that. What people want is a Defender on the outside and capability-wise that people will look at and go, oh yeah, Defender. Yeah. But on the inside, they want the luxury and the feel of a Range Rover. Yeah. So all the leather seats and the lovely sat-nav screen and yeah. you know, the feeling high up and you know, there's, there's no noise coming in. But if you sit in a real Defender, have you been in a real Defender? No. So, what, an my, old um, one or a modern one? An old one. No, I haven't. So, I've seen pictures though, it's like a little, uh, a little um, iron shed. It, it is. I, so, my, um, I had a friend at uni um, who daily drove a pickup Defender. Nice. Um, I, I don't know the Defender names that well, it might have been a 90. Um, but, you know, it's TD, just turbo diesel. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it was horrendous. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, the window misted up continuously. Like, you could flap open the windows at the front, <laughs> like, just underneath the windscreen to yeah. try and demist it. Um, it was stiff as anything. I've never felt someone, something so stiff in my life. You felt every single bump, every single notch in the road you'd yeah. feel. Because if you think about it with an off-road car... You'd think you'd imagine it would have spongy suspension. Yeah, you, yeah, you would. If it's high, if it's yeah. just sitting up higher, you've got more room on the springs and suspension for it to not crash around into bumps. Well, if you, you really think. think about it, you want the travel, but you want the stiffness still, because if it was incredibly soft and you went down, you'd bottom out. Yeah, and you'd spring. So you'd you'd crash down. The whole body would compress all the springs and flat, slam into the ground yeah. and then spring up again. <laughs> so they're actually really stiff and they've got a lot of damping on them. 
so that you absorb the bumps, yeah. but it's incredibly crashy. So the ride <laughs> is just awful as a daily driver because it's designed to be purely off-road and that's not what people want. No. So if they designed the Defender as the purists would love it to be, they wouldn't sell any of them. That's, yeah, they probably wouldn't. But they, they've probably trademarked this name Defender. Yeah. And they just want to stick it on a car. Yeah. Which I understand. Um, it's the same with the Mustang that we were talking about the other week. You know, like, if you made a Mustang like a purist Mustang in yeah. the modern world, it just doesn't work because it doesn't no. handle. It consumes fuel like nothing you've ever, you'd ever imagined. Yeah. And it's just worse at being a car than other cars. But they want to keep the Mustang names. So they stick it on something that will actually be future-proof. And I suppose those old Defenders still exist and are still on farms, still working perfectly fine yeah so there's no need to make it like the old ones because the old ones still exist exactly um but again a hundred grand oh yeah no it's i think if you if you imagine it's not a defender it suddenly makes sense like you understand it then because the old range rover sport was like around about 100k yeah you, you could they're always up there aren't they those suvs especially range rovers because yeah. they they do they are very very capable off-road as well yeah which is something that bmws and the audis of the world don't actually do very well at all yeah um and they're just opposers at least the range rover actually does work off-road yeah exactly um but they've got a new dynamic mode okay they're putting in this v8 version which um adjusts its um, electronically controlled chassis tech and sharpens the car's responses. Yeah. Um, promising better cornering ability and improved handling. Right. If you want those things, why have you bought a Defender? <laughs> yeah, it sounds like the sort of thing you'd want in an Elise. Yes. Yeah. I think people just want a car these days that just does everything. Yeah. They want it to grip round corners. They want it to go really fast in a straight line. They want it to work on off-road. Yeah. Um, and all these car manufacturers are just doing it, aren't they? They're not willing to compromise too much on other things. No. And that's and why it's so... luxurious as well. Yeah. It's kind of a brave thing to bring out a car that does one thing really well nowadays. Yeah. I think maybe that's the reason the crossover exists. Maybe. Because the sport crossover is the embodiment of what you just said. Yeah. <laughs> Isn't it? Like... It the is. Puma ST, the new one, <laughs> is the absolute uh, embodiment of a car that's like, when you see reviewers reviewing it, they're like, ah, oh, it handles surprisingly well. Yeah. It, it hides its weight. Why not just not have the weight to begin yeah, with? Why exactly. do you have to make something fundamentally flawed and then you're battling your own flaws yeah. from start to finish in the design process? But I also get why they do it because people buy them. Yeah. The problem here is not the manufacturers. The problem here is the consumers. It is. It's all the consumers' problem. But at the same time, the consumers are around because the manufacturers are pandering to everyone's wishes. Yeah. They're not saying, no, we're not going to make the Mondeo an SUV. We've <laughs> already got an SUV. It's called the Cougar. Yeah. We're not going to make the Mustang an SUV. We're going to make the Mustang a Mustang, yeah. which is a coupe, rear-wheel drive, lightweight, powerful. You know, if you want a Ford SUV, don't buy a Mustang. Yeah. Buy a Cougar. Yeah. But they, you know, you know what I mean? You've got, you're, eventually you're going to have all these different models. You're going to go onto Ford's website, all these different models, all are going to be SUVs. Yeah. Or crossovers, all with just different names. Yeah. And it's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I 
But it's just... Is, in, it, is it's, it not wrong? It's, in a, it's completely wrong. I hate it. But it's in response to what sells. And it sucks. But it sucks because we as humanity seem to suck recently in terms of what we want to have in a car. Um, Despair. But, when it, when it, but you can see it with like when a manufacturer brings out a car that's fundamentally flawed in other ways in order to make it good at something specific. So I'm thinking GR Yaris. I'm thinking... Yeah, that's more like it. Um, Toyota GT86, yeah. you know? Those two cars are famously driver-focused, but do you think they sell in anywhere near the same numbers as a Audi Q2? Hmm. No. No. No, they won't. Because no one actually wants... You know, people who are car enthusiasts, of which you're already whittling the population down to not a huge number. <laughs> a few hundred. Um, say they want a four-wheel drive Yaris that's yeah. a rally homologation. Yeah. But do they? Do they have the money to put, you know, where their mouth is, yeah. essentially? And the problem is it, it costs the manufacturers a huge amount to develop a car like yeah, that. Yeah, it does. Because it's, it's, it, it's basically a rally car. Yeah, it is. Uh, and if they don't get the return on it like they would do in something that's cheaper with a cheap-to-manufacture engine yeah. that's basically the same across 10 different models in their that's lineup right. already... It's the platform is the same, just a different body shell on top. Yeah. I mean, it sucks, but it's just the way that it yeah. is. And, and that... car enthusiasts tend to, you know, steer away from buying brand-new cars. Yeah. You know, because if, you, if you're a car enthusiast, you should, you should know, really, that buying a, used, buying a new car is just really a waste of money <laughs> as I strong know. opinions as i know well it is really isn't it i mean you've it, got mm. you know when you've got a two two or three thousand miler second hander sat on the forecourt yeah. like i did in that exact situation yeah and i said no i'll have a brand new one please i want to wait three months for it yeah you know i've paid four thousand pounds more for for no more car literally yeah. no more car i could have got in the one with three thousand miles on it and driven away that day yeah well, that's your specific case, isn't it? I guess it depends on what you want. What do you want out of a car? Like, are we, we going to do this? Should we do this Let's conversation? Because this is a topic that I've had on the books for a yeah. while. What, how should you buy a car? And I think if you're someone who doesn't know the answer to this question, then it can be quite confusing. Yeah. And very tempting to leap into a lease deal yeah. when it's like 100, 120 quid a month for a Vauxhall Adam or something. Yeah. Um, the, and like Peugeot offered... Uh, do you remember that you could buy the 208 with the Just Add Fuel deal? Yes, I do so remember that. You're Wasn't it just... less than 100 quid a month? It was something stupid. It was like 90, they were like banging it, 99 pounds per month and you can drive away. Oh, I don't remember the one pound, you go in, the Skoda did a one pound car buying thing. Did they? You go in with a pound and you can drive away with a car oh, good Lord. on a specific deal. So I think, I get it in some circumstances. You can lease a brand new car if you want a brand new car. If you're someone who, and this is a lot of people to be fair, if you're someone who wants a new car every three years, yep. in terms of monthly payments and effort, and I guess you can translate effort into money, yeah. um, you can spend less per month leasing a brand new car than you would do potentially buying the car outright and selling it again further down the line. Yeah. Uh, I know that you don't officially own the car, but it is a relatively convenient way of getting whatever's latest, having 
when, when you get a brand new car, you get warranties that yep. then last the entire length. Yeah. Usually. You don't have to MOT a car for three years. No. Nope. Brand new. You don't have to MOT it. The um, car. You get a service plan. So yep. every year you can just drop it back and within the same, you know, within a couple of hours, you've got your car back all serviced. Yeah. Not that they do anything anyway, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah. It's low effort is what it is. Yeah, it is. So I it's get it from convenient. that perspective. It's just incredibly convenient, incredibly low effort. And if you don't care about cars and you don't know that much about cars, but you know enough that you want, you want something new, yeah. I get it, you know, it makes sense. And I know a fair few people who've done that. Yeah. And it's, it's hard not to judge as someone who is a car enthusiast and would look at that as a massive money-wasting opportunity, yeah. especially when it's something brand new and luxury, which is gonna depreciate at an insane yeah. rate. But you don't care about depreciation because you've entered a three-year deal yeah. with the with VW, whoever, and you know that car is going straight back to them. Yeah. And you'll take the next car that comes out in yeah. three years' time for the same monthly payment, let's say it's 200 quid a month. Yeah. You'll drive it in, you'll drive out in the brand new one yeah. for 200 quid a month, and that just rolls on. You're basically just renting the car yeah. for that time period. So it, it, the other options are reserved for those who care enough about the cars and want to then put the effort into getting it sold at the end. Yeah. Because it only makes financial sense if you can put the effort into actually selling it and getting the money it's worth. Okay, but if you don't want to sell it, if you are if you don't want to sell it and you don't want to give it back to the the, uh, the car manufacturer, yeah. then you're paying 200 quid a month for three years. Yeah. That's what you were going to do anyway. Yeah. But instead of the car going back and you getting a new one, there's an optional final payment which yeah. you've agreed upon that say it's £8,000. Yeah. You can then refinance that over two years or pay them the £8,000 and buy the car from them. Yeah. That way, if let's say you've got eight grand, you give that to them, you keep the car, that's your 200 quid gone, and you've got a car that's three years old. Yeah. With about 5,000, five, 6,000 miles on it. Yeah, and you've just wasted the 200 quid a month that's just gone in that time period. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's... If you don't have the upfront money, it's a good way to get a new car, but you cannot... Basically, it makes no financial sense to then keep the car at that point, to then pay off the final payment and keep the car. It makes way less sense because of how much it costs. Like the balloon payment at the end is enormous. Yeah, <laughs> it Especially is. Yeah, if not it a lot was... of people have 8,000 pounds just to buy a car outright. And that's on a cheap car, you know? That's on like, yeah. a, as you said, a Fiesta ST or something. Yeah, that's, that's not on a BMW 330e, no. No, you know? Like cheap. that's a 40 grand car that yeah. you've then, you've got a balloon payment of like 18, 19 yeah. grand that you have to be able to fork out. Yeah at the end of all that. And but then aren't you stuck in that situation? Completely, yeah. No, it's, it's a cycle you're stuck in, which if you accept, like if you go in with the knowledge that that's the case, which I don't think a lot of people do, to be yeah. fair, they don't think about it too much, then that's fine, that's acceptable. If you're willing to accept that you're just going to siphon off two to 300 quid a month yeah. for the rest of your life and ownership of cars, then that's fine. It's fine until you do the maths. Yeah. And you realise in 10 years' time, that's £20,000 I've just wasted. And I have nothing to show for it. Nothing that you've, you've owned. Got you've got nothing. Just... You haven't owned any of it. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's right. I think I've, yeah, I've not done that. I'm not going to do that. And no. as a result of that, I'm never going to buy a new car. No. And I'm never going to lease, I don't think. I mean, I never say never. Maybe it'll happen. Maybe yeah. one day there'll be a good enough deal that I'd do it. But there isn't at the moment. My point really was... You know, if you've got, if you want a new car, I don't, I don't know why you, 
what, what, what's, what's the appeal about having such a, you know, a brand new car? What, yeah. what is the appeal when you've got car, every, every manufacturer out there have cars on the forward court that are, you know, they've got three, 4,000 miles on them. Yeah. You know, where, where someone's taken that car out for a year and then they've got bored and they've given it back. Yeah. Or their financial situations changed and they've sold it back to them. Yeah. You know, they are the steals because they aren't, they're basically new cars. You yeah. know, 3,000 3, miles is, is nothing on a modern engine. Yeah, yeah. You know, so just go with that one. If you, if you, well, I don't know what this obsession is with, with buying a car brand new when there's a much better financial decision there. You know, that finance, that financed over three years is going to be, you know, probably 40, 50 quid less per month. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then at least that's yours. So you, you'd advocate for the nearly new I if would you go wanted nearly new. new. If you wanted new, go nearly new. Yeah. And then you've saved yourself a good three or four thousand pounds on 100%. this price there. Yeah, you 100% have. Um, but what we do nowadays is go used, like fully used. Yeah, fully, fully used. I, I've, I'm now a big, uh, well, in, in the current financial climate, yeah. I'm a big, I don't know what to say, proponent of the, um, of the car loan, of the, the personal loan for oh, yeah, a car. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what I've done for my McGann and it's yeah. what I've done. That's what I've done. For my uh, BMW because yeah. I've gone, so when I bought the McGann, it was six years old. Yes. Um, and I got a car loan out for that. Monthly payments were similar to what you'd expect on a, on a, a lease plan. Yeah. Except that when that was finished, I owned the car completely. Yes. And I'd been, I'd been putting money into the car. Yeah. Not effectively, not just renting the car and paying off the depreciation. Yeah. And now that I'm going to sell the car, it's not lost a huge amount of money. No. And so, you get all that money back. Yeah. So it's worth 8,000. That's it. You yeah. get that 8,000 pounds back. Exactly. You don't get anything back if you lease a car. Exactly. So over that period of time that I've owned the car, it would have depreciated a couple of grand. Yeah. So I've effectively lost a couple of grand. Yeah. I've not, over a three-year period, thrown thousands and thousands of thousands of pounds yeah into a lease. And I've got out of that an RS McGann. Yes. And it's the same with the Beamer. So the Beamer was knocking on uh, 20K. So you get a loan for that yep. over a long period. Um, I effectively, as far as the garage is concerned, paid cash for yes, it. Yes, exactly. But I got a loan from the bank because they are so cheap at the moment. Yeah. It's like a 3% loan. Yeah. Um, and paying it off. Like over the course of the entire loan, my interest on the car is not much over a grand. No, which is, which is really good. And I know that the car's newer, it's a 17 plate, so yeah. it will depreciate more, but it's still, for a car of that sort of luxury yeah. and standard, is going to uh, set me back way less than if I leased yeah. a brand new M135i exactly. for 32 grand or whatever. Yeah. Um, which would depreciate in the same amount of time, like to the same age, yeah. would depreciate down about 10 grand. It's It's... It just felt like a no-brainer to me to yeah. then go for car loan for that sort of price range. That might not always make sense, though, if loans become much more expensive, which does yeah. happen. Obviously, loan rates go up and down. But in the current climate, car loan makes complete sense. Yep. They're just so cheap Agreed. at the moment. And provided you do your research, you know, Auto Trader is not something you should be um, intimidated by. Yeah. You know, you don't have, you're not obliged to purchase you know, cars if you go and see them and you, you're not happy with something. You know, don't feel forced you know, by a salesman to, to you know, just because you've gone there and seen it, you haven't wasted his time, it's their job, he's getting paid for it. Yeah, exactly. You know, if you want to walk away, walk away. You know, yeah. do your research, don't do what Cameron does, 
buy the first, buy car, the you first see. car you see every single time. <laughs> That's not the salesman's fault. That's my issues. fault. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I actually that's um, that's an interesting point because I say that if you're going to go view a car, always drive that car. Always. Never buy a car you haven't driven. Um, so when I went uh, with uh, Chris, you know Chris, yeah, races with us. Uh, when we went to go view MX-5s for him, um, we went to see a, a chap who was just selling it out of his front yeah. garden. Uh, he had a few cars. He had like a mini carb selling business. Yeah. Um, and we asked to have a little test drive in the car. Uh, so he, uh, he looked a bit like, mm, but then he let, he let us. Well, he let Chris. I didn't yeah. do it. So Chris went out in the car because Chris had never driven an MX-5 before. No. He had no idea if it was the right car for him. He was mainly looking at them because he'd come to me and said, you know, I want to spend a few grand on a cheap but fun car that's not going to get driven very much. And I want, you know, a nice driving experience, like good driving driving experience. There's nothing better than a Mark II MX-5 for that at a couple of grand. So he needs to drive one, though, to work out if that's really what he wants. Yeah. Goes out for a drive in the guy, with the guy, comes back. Um, we say, cool, well, we'll have a think about it. We go and actually drive Chris's, uh, not Chris, sorry, Steve. Steve, yeah. Steve's dad's MX-5. It's better in every single way. Oh, okay. It costs less money. Yeah. Um, it's got no rust whatsoever. Right. Um, it's immaculate, really amazing. I've never seen a Mark II MX-5 in such a good, good nick. Um, and so we decided to buy that and not go with the other guy's car. The guy texts Chris with, I can't believe that you came and you drove my car and didn't even end up buying it. What? He was pissed. Absolutely pissed. Yeah. But so I was thinking, like, you're in the wrong business yeah, if that's what annoys you. You got hurt feelings because no one bought his car. Oh, for goodness sake. Like, there's nothing wrong. Like, it, he drove it up the road. He did a five-minute test drive. Yeah. It's, not, it's not like it's suddenly now worth less money no. because some bloke took it for a little drive. To be honest, it had been sat around for a while. One of the tires was low. He had to get out, like, oh, God. to pump up one of the tires, you know. Yeah. It's not... I, do not, I don't really know what he was expecting out of that no. exchange. If you sell cars, you've got to expect people to come by and drive the cars. Yeah. Otherwise, who's going to buy a car they haven't driven? Exactly. So it was, uh, yeah, it was a strange experience anyway. Quite a funny one. But there we go. There I go. think if you're buying cars, I just, for me, the lease option has never made any sense. No. Is the conclusion that I've drawn to. That's the conclusion. That's a good conclusion because, you know, the, the, the dealership is going to be rubbing their hands if you go in and say, can I give you £200 a month in exchange for a brand new car? But don't worry, I'll give it back to you after three years <laughs> and then I'll just take another one out. Yeah. And you, you can just take £200 from me every single month for the next 10 years. <laughs> just You can have the cars back, yeah. you know, with about 10,000 miles on them. Um, and then you can sell them and on. And then you can sell them for like 17k. Yeah. To people as a, like me. As a, as a nearly new to people like us. Yeah. Who actually want that sort of thing. Yeah. You've eaten um, the depreciation for us. Thank you. Yes. Exactly. So ah. just have a little think. And also, if we're talking at cars that are, you know, under 10 grand, so we're, we're at the lower end of car budget yeah. now, I, I would say maybe start considering delaying purchasing the car and saving up for it. Yeah. That would be, I, I know there's a, and I'm the worst for this, impulse deciding I want something. <laughs> it's very difficult to save. For so difficult, but if you can, then cars at that sort of price, yeah. depending on the car, tend to have bottomed, it, bottomed out in That's value. It. And I think you'll find that you can put a hell of a lot more money away per month if you're saving for something. Yeah. 
rather than taking out a deal that's like 100 quid a month. Yeah. That's only 100 pound a month. If you're, if you're saving for it and you can put four or 500 pounds per month away, then you're going to be in a much better situation. It's going to take you a lot less time to be able to afford that car. Yeah, yeah. Totally agree. I think we'll wrap it up there then. Well, we can do, yeah. That's a good episode, I think. Um, so thank you very much for listening. Yes, thanks everyone. Good we'll lord, that was, that was an information-heavy episode. It was. <laughs> Bye. Bye, everyone.